All right, First Corinthians 13. So it'll be tonight. We are a week ahead of schedule and uh, plan to use that extra week for chapter 16. You will see songs of praise, three different psalms in our Psalter are of the psalms three of them are used in first chronicles 16 and so because we're a week ahead we'll be able to hopefully lord willing look at those in greater detail than just one week which i hope to do and so uh so rich all right but tonight we're looking at just 14 verses from first chronicles 13 that's where we'll start and uh and be around there but uh, title for tonight could be one of two things. One is doing God's will must be done God's way or the tragedy of ignorance of God's ways. As you read First Chronicles 13, uh, you realize um, near the end that it's a tragedy. And if you have read Second Samuel, this is a parallel to Second Samuel 6. What 2 Samuel 6 does is put the three months of bringing the Ark of the Covenant from Kiriath-Jerim to Jerusalem in one chapter. And what this does is show you there's a gap of time and there is chapter 14 and part of 15 before, um, between 13, obviously, uh, before they get the Ark of the Covenant there and uh, in transporting. And chapter 15 uh, is going to tell us all of the preparation that they should have done before 13, and they didn't. And um, But they the, the detail in chapter 15 is going to be helpful. And then the songs of worship that we have uh, in 16, uh, we'll spend time on. With, that's not, None of that's recorded in 2 Samuel uh, 6. So we have uh, 1 Chronicles 13, and... Um, the preparation for bringing the ark, uh, and we'll read verse the first four verses, first section. David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who uh, remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and the Levites and the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us, uh, then let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. I try to emphasize the all and every's, but you'll see all twice in verse 4, and then you'll see it um, once in twice in verse 2, and then every leader in verse 1. So remember the leaders of First Chronicles 12 are the leaders of the armies of Israel. And we know how much, how huge that army was. And David consults with all of the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with every tribe and every leader. I watched the, what Pastor Ty uh, spoke on uh, when he did Second Samuel 6. And he mentioned in his Sunday school lesson, and I'm sure you all remember that lesson from no, uh, October 23rd. So that was only three months ago. But in October 23rd uh, was 2 Samuel 6. And he said, if, if you notice how many times David sought the Lord in 2 Samuel 5, he's seeking the Lord, he's seeking the Lord. And that likely is the defeat of the Philistines. And before he went out to battle, 
he would seek the Lord, God, should I go and fight them? Should I go and fight them? And God said, yes, but this way and do it this way. But what we see here after that likely is David is consulting with commanders. And this is not a manual for leadership, but he has uh, a very good collaboration here. He's got all of his leaders. He's talking to every one of them, uh, all the leaders of the tribes. He even invites the Levites and the priests uh, from all the lands of Israel. So no one's excluded. This is an exclusive time where it's just David and a few. It's not David and his mighty men. It is, according to 2 Samuel 6, there's 30,000 people here, commanders of the armies that David's talking to. So this is a massive amount of people. We're in Second or First Chronicles 13. There's a massive amount of people that David is consulting. And as he consults with them, it says here that no one's excluded. And if you look at First uh, Chronicles 13, 2, he says, if it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send to our brothers. We're going to gather everybody here and we're going to gather them for this reason. Now, if they have been in battle um, and they are part of the armies we saw in chapter 12, they're not going to war. They're gathering everyone for verse three's purpose. And that purpose is let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we did not seek it in the days of Saul. So 20 years before Saul becomes king, at least, the Israelites took it into, took the Ark of God into battle against the Philistines. The Philistines captured it. Remember, Hophni and Phinehas die. Eli dies. And the Philistines have it for seven months. God inflicts them. And then they send it back to Israel on a new cart that's going to come up again in our story. Um, and they offer an offering with it. They send it back to Israel. It stays for 20 years um, before, I think, King Saul becomes king. Saul's king for 40 years. David's king for seven years before this, at least. So 67 years have passed where the Israelites aren't enjoying the Ark of the Covenant. It's also called the Ark of the Testimony. The Testimony was or the covenant would have been uh, the Ten Commandments that were underneath where God's presence was. And this was a special uh, box. It was roughly the size of our communion table. So if you look at our communion table without the top uh, on it, uh, the dimensions of the lower part were 42 inches by 27 by 27 tall. And so uh, a sizable uh, piece of furniture. And they have a great idea. Uh, there's no lack of this, this. This is not a bad idea. This is a wonderful idea. And you look at verse three of why they want to bring the ark of God to themselves is we want to seek God. And why do they want to seek God now? Because they have a king who wants to seek God. Why didn't Saul do this years ago? Because we saw from First Chronicles uh, 12 that or I'm, I'm sorry, 10, that Saul had a breach of faith. During his kingdom, it was, this This isn't a time to seek the Lord. This is a time to fight the Philistines and fight David and battles. But Saul did not seek God. Um, and David, starting his kingdom unified with joy in Israel, he is wanting to be unified around the presence of God. Nothing wrong with that. 
Um, and so look at verse four. So all the assembly agreed to do so. So there's wonderful unity here. For the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. What's missing in verses one through four? David's consulting people, unity, good idea, great idea. Um, what is missing is who he's not seeking. He's not seeking God. That's going to come back. That's part of the tragedy of this. In all the preparations for worship with the great ideas, great heart, great unity, he only is consulting men alone. He's not leaving anybody out. There's unity there. He's inviting the priests and the Levites. But even in mentioning the priests and Levites, there is this idea that who should have known better than what happened in first chronicles 13 it should have been the priests and levites okay they are the teachers the priests are the teachers of the old testament the levites were the men who were charged and carried on the work of the uh, of the, the sanctuary the tabernacle and it is clear in, in the history in the um the pentateuch so let's look back uh when when pastor ty mentioned this he looked at numbers 4 15 so we're going to go back to numbers 4 and look at verses 4 through 6 so numbers 4 hold your hand here uh, we'll come back numbers 4 4 through 6 also exodus 25 uh, talks about the uh the poles that were to be installed on the sides of the ark of the covenant and they weren't supposed to be removed obviously they were removed um at times uh when they carried it around um but with the poles it made it harder to do, do what they did in first chronicles 13 in numbers chapter 4 we have uh the duties of one tribe of the or one part of the tribe of levi the sons of levi just 30 to 50 year olds were in charge of the holy things, the holy furniture in verses four to six of Numbers four. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tent of meeting, the most holy things. So they were responsible. And you remember how many times the Israelites moved during the wanderings in the wilderness? They had to re they had to get really good at this. It's like going camping and getting really good at setting up a tent and tearing it down. When the Israelites got used to this, they could probably do this. The Levites could do this in their sleep. They had done it so many times. So what do they do in order to protect the holiness and the glory of the Lord in the most holy place, in this, the Holy of Holies? So the Kohathites, the one section of the group, one third of the Levites who are 30 to 50 years old, they are responsible for the most holy things. Verse 5. When the campus is set out, Aaron and his sons shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the Ark of the Testimony with it. So you can imagine the Ark of the Covenant or Ark of the Testimony is behind the veil of the tabernacle. And so as they take it down, they're probably holding it up. They cover it. They don't see it. So nobody sees the Ark of the Covenant with the pictures that you can Google and see what it looked like with it priest carrying it if it was not covered that would never have happened okay just because of how they were supposed to transport it they took the veil down as a curtain and they used that curtain as the first covering but that's not the only covering look at numbers four verse uh, six then 
they shall put on it a covering of cloth or a covering of goatskin. Okay, that's the second covering on top of the veil that's on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, verse six continues, and spread on top of that a cloth all of blue. So several pictures that I've seen on, on Google uh, shows the uh, four men carrying the Ark of the Covenant and it's covered in a cloth of blue. That's accurate. That's what it says here. So there is three layers of covering and and you shall put it um, shall put in its poles. So there are probably some holes in the coverings or um, the the coverings were draped over top of the poles, but the they had to get the the poles through the eyelets on either side of the Ark of the Covenant. But all of the all of these holy things were not to be put on carts. They were to be carried. The bigger things had holes on the side. They actually weren't allowed to touch any of them. They weren't allowed to touch the altar of incense. They weren't allowed to touch the bronze altar. They weren't allowed to touch the table of showbread. They're not allowed to touch these things. They're only allowed to transport them with poles because they're holy. And especially the Ark of the Covenant is holy. So look at verse 15 while we're here. Um, and um, you shall put, let's see, verse 15. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary as the camp sets out, uh, after that, the sons of the Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. Carry them, don't touch them. Carry them, don't touch them. Cover them, no one sees them, okay? Now let's, on our way back to First Chronicles, let's stop at First uh, Samuel chapter 6. In 1 Samuel 6, not only do the priests and the Levites have clear instruction from God, they also have another story within 60-some years of when 1 Chronicles 13, the, the, the killing of Uzzah. This, that was a tragedy. But there was another tragedy involving the Ark of the Covenant that happened, and it was 70 men die with when they didn't do what God wanted them to do. So let's go to 1 Samuel 6. And in 1 Samuel 6, when the Philistines returned the Ark of the Covenant to Israel with the cows and their, um, and on the, on the new cart, and they offer an offering with it of gold, uh, according to the number of their cities, they send it to this uh, city of Beth Shemesh. And in verse 19, so 1 Samuel 6, 19, he says, and God, that's the he, he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord without a covering. They looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them. And the people mourned. And this is maybe a small town, so 70 men of any town is a, is a tragedy, right? And so, but God's killing them of Israel. And he struck them, and the people mourned, and because of the Lord had struck the people with a great blow, in verse 20, then the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall uh, he go up uh, away from us? So we've got to send this thing away. They just received it. They were glad it was back in Israel territory. But when 70 men die for looking at it, uh, they say, who is able to stand? And we've got to send this away. Verse uh, 21, so they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, which is where the ark is in First Chronicles 13, saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. 
<laughs> you can have it. That's what they say. And so that's where the ark is for all of Saul's reign. And uh, the Lord um, is not sought during Saul. So the ark of the covenant isn't, isn't crucial. But the Israelites of First Chronicles 13, Levites priests should have known the law, what God required. And everyone should have known what happened to, at Beth Shemesh when the 70 men looked at it. This is history. This is recent history. This isn't a long, long time ago. That everyone should have known the tragedy that happened with the Ark of the Covenant then. So they're really without excuse for what's happening here. They're not prepared. Ignorance is lacking. Lack of seeking God or his word led to ignorance and tragedy. And ignorance is no excuse uh, for not knowing how to or what pleases God. For us today, ignorance is no excuse for not knowing what pleases God. Why? Because we have a full Bible. We have it all written. We have it in our language. We can read it. We can study it. So not knowing what's in God's word and what pleases him is not an excuse that God's going to accept. If he didn't accept it, ignorance and Uzzah dies and the 70 men earlier died, it's not an excuse today, okay? So we move from the preparation to the procession, verse 5. So David assembled, we're back in First Chronicles 13. So David assembled all Israel, again, notice the alls, uh, from the Nile in the south to Lebo Hamath, probably in the north, to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim, and, and he wants to bring it to the holy... Uh, city or the royal city where he's going to establish he wants to build a temple there he doesn't he's not able to solomon's going to build the temple here in in first chronicles but david and all israel went up to um Baalah, and that is kiriath jerim that belongs to judah to bring up from there the ark of god and notice the description of the ark of god here Verse 6, which is called by the name of the Lord who sits enthroned above the cherubim. If you had a group of men that were consulted here and they said, so why should we go? Why should we bring the ark of God up here? And David says, this ark of God is called by the name of the Lord who sits enthroned above the cherubim. This is a very holy, the most holy uh, ark. Um, piece of furniture that we could ever have. This is where God's presence lives visibly. It lived visibly in 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 the midst of Israel during the um, wilderness wanderings for forty years. It was supposed to, for the tabernacle, be God's presence with Israel, and eventually it's going to be in the temple. So this is the, the center of worship is the ark. Okay. And centered around the name of the Lord, our covenant, faithful God, who is sovereign, who is powerful. Okay, so why wouldn't we want this here? Okay, so the description is, is, is powerful. And then verse 7. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart. Now, if you've read the Bible <laughs> up to this point and you get to this point, red flags ought to be going off buzzers in your mind whoa 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 where why are they doing this you, you should be saying okay they're carrying it on a new cart now if some royal person or some high dignitary comes for a visit and we have the idea they're going to come to drink it we're going to go get a new car they're going to be the first one to ride in a new car that would be a way to honor someone that we're 
we're bringing here. So they have this idea, we're going to get a new card. This is a special, specially made just for this. Problem. What's the problem with the new card? It's disobeying God. Where did they come up with this idea? They took it from the Philistines. Should we imitate the Philistines in how they treated the ark? <laughs> no. So they're imitating the world. All right. They're well-meaning people of God. They're unified. They're sincere. They're passionate. Look at verse 8 of how passionate that this worship is. Uh, Uzzah and Ohio are driving the cart. Um, it's a new cart, verse 8. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with song and lyres, all these different types of instruments, and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. Imagine a wonderful parade that's like marching band after marching band. That's what it's like here in this procession. And you imagine these, these warriors have probably come back from battle at times and they've had the same type of celebration as they go into towns and hey we just were victorious over this our foes and now but it's not victorious over foes we're we're getting ready to worship and seek god as a kingdom unified this is wonderful but we have in our mind godly intent but there's worldly methods here a cart to transport this idea is not from the Lord. This is from the world. And Deuteronomy 12, 29 to 32 specifically says, do not worship the Lord your God like the nations worship their gods. That's incredibly important. Deuteronomy 12, 29 to 32 that says this. They know what happened in 1 Samuel 6 and the, God wasn't happy with the Philistines and they just got rid of the ark back to Israel. So they're celebrating God's presence, but they must have this warning. It's not done God's way. Something's wrong here. And it gets tragic here in verse 9. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand. Maybe he was riding in the cart. Maybe he's walking beside it. Either way, he's close enough to it. He puts out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark and he died there before God. Now, we may be reading this. If you've read it the first time, you thought, that's not fair. God seems to be the bad guy here. Okay, so this is God's word. God is never the bad guy. <laughs> God is always the protagonist in every story. So who is the antagonist here? Well, you say, Uzzah, yeah, he dies. Who else? All of Israel. Ignorance isn't an excuse. And who is mostly responsible for this? David. Okay? Men after God's own heart, seeking God, but doing it the world's way. And tragedy, there's the product of a lack of preparation, a lack in the procession, and now the product is... Wanting to worship and please God done with ignorance and disobedience of God's word leads to tragedy. So what's the tragedy that we see here? It God's killing someone. Ignorance of God's laws and the recent history that we said from 1 Samuel 6 should have warned them this is not the right way to do things. The tragedy of God's leaders being angry at God. Look at verse 10. So when Uzzah dies... Before God, verse 11 says, And David was angry because the Lord 
had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah, or outbreak against Uzzah to this day. David's angry at God. When tragedy happens and we're disobedient and God judges us or God disciplines us with tragedy and we get angry at God, <laughs> something's wrong. Who should David have been angry at? Himself. He should have said, why didn't we read the word? Why didn't we learn from the men at Beth Shemesh 60 some years ago? He's not angry at his plan. He's angry that God didn't approve of their celebration. God, we're doing this for you. And he's angry because the Lord puts Uzzah to death when God says, this is exactly what's going to happen in Numbers 4.15, if you touch these things. So when you carry them, you're not, you're not going to touch them. Uh, you probably have many different men that could could have carried these sons of Kohath that they, if they got tired, they would set it down, they'd pick it up again, and other men would, would keep going. And so they just didn't consult God. Ignorance of God's word, ignorance of history that would have warned them. And now look at David's response is very similar to the men of Beth Shemesh after they lost 70. And David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? How can we do this? <laughs> and that's when the Beshemesh sent it to Kiriath-Jerim, and David says, we got to stop, okay? Anytime there is a celebration and someone dies in the middle of it, David's family, we see later that Amnon is killed in the middle of a celebration, and that stops the party, and all the, the, the uh, sons of uh, David flee. When someone dies, we think, okay, something's wrong. When God kills someone in the Bible, Something was desperately wrong. We have to learn that. God's not wrong. <laughs> Some people were doing things that were wrong that caused God to, to teach them. And we have to learn. So what do we need to learn from this tragedy? That we should not be angry for God doing what's right. Notice that David does fear God now in verse 12. But he fears God too late. We are told over and over again in scripture that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If David, the priests, and the Levites would have feared God before they touched the ark and put it on a cart, if they would have feared God then, they would have searched God's word and said, I think there's special instructions for this. <laughs> if no one knows it, let's go find what the special instructions are in Exodus and Numbers. Oh, wow. These islets on the side of the ark are for poles we've got to make poles we've got to get we've got to do it the right way and the fear of the lord at the previous would have would have kept them but they they fear god too late and us is dead and now they're fearing god and now they're going to take three months of a break until they figure out how to transport it correctly and uh, chapter 15 tells us about that so verse 13, so David did not take the ark home into the city of David, but took it aside to the house as close probably as he could get to the house of Obed-Edom, uh, the Gittite, and the ark of God. Now there's a silver lining here. The silver lining is God's intent in the book of Numbers, after he gives all these laws, after, he, after Numbers 4 is Numbers 6, and Numbers 6 has a wonderful blessing that God is going to be with his people and his face is going to shine upon them and he's going to bless them. 
that's number six, I believe, 24 to 26. Notice what God does to the house of Obed-Edom. So the ark remains in the household of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. So in that three-month time frame, I don't know how, whether it was harvest or whether it was his family, <laughs> health, it was obvious for the person writing Chronicles to observe some way there was fruit of blessing on this family. And the connection is because God's presence was there, that God was blessing. Okay, so what do we learn? How do we apply this? Today, there's many things, and this morning um, there were several things mentioned, but we do not worship God the same way the world worships their gods. We do not borrow from the world's worship strategies, um, despite the heart, the good heart, the great enthusiasm, uh, the great unity. All those things are good, but we have to worship God according to his word. So what is, what is Jesus teach the woman at the well all those who worship god worship god in spirit and in truth so spirit was present here passion unity power celebration none that was wrong but they, they lacked the truth and lacking the truth was tragic so we worship our holy god and it was mentioned this morning the same god that put us to death and wanted to be worshiped in a certain way is the same god we worship today I'll take it one step further. The same God came and became one of us. Jesus is the God of judgment. And we have a softer side of Jesus that the world wants, and they don't want a Jesus who's going to judge them. But Jesus judged Uzzah. And Jesus is the judge of the whole earth. He's going to judge. <laughs> Read Revelation. He's going to judge, right? And God commits all judgment to the Son. The son's going to judge. He's going to judge like the father, like we see in the Old Testament, like we see Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. Jesus is going to judge. So we better worship him how he says uh, to in his word um, and fear him. Fearing God will keep us knowing God. Another thing that was mentioned this morning that really stuck out to me is ignorance is not an excuse. If God gives us his word in our language, we are responsible to know it. We cannot say, I did not know God's word. If you and I aren't reading it and we're not studying it and we're disobeying God ignorantly, not an excuse. That's probably the case of all the thousands of people that thought this is an awful day. Celebration to tragedy. What went wrong? Okay, they didn't know God. And we, we had to learn from that. We have to know God, we have to study, and we have to worship him how he wants uh, to be worshipped. We'll uh, pick up here, Lord willing, next week.